Hello and welcome to another episode of the Generosity Freak Show. I'm your host, Brady Josephson, and today we are talking with Matt Scott. He's the co-founder and CEO of Cosmic, uh, a nonprofit agency working with organizations to transform how they do their marketing and fundraising with such an emphasis on digital nowadays. And that's one of the things that we really touch on, uh, specifically within the context of flash fundraising, something that Matt has a lot of experience with in his time at uh, Team Rubicon and also now in his consulting and work with a bunch of different nonprofits is how do you really prepare and make the most of uh, natural disasters, response to news cycles, uh, things like that? How can you be prepared and then how do you follow up? So that's the main focus of our conversation, but we go down a few little rabbit holes on culture, on mobile, on tech stack, on things like that. So uh, uh, it was a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it as well. And thank you as always for listening. Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. I said, Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. Hey, Matt, thanks for coming on the show. Super excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Brady. Yeah, of course. So uh, we met at the Classy Collaborative, uh, shared a pint, which was nice. And uh, we talked a little bit about flash fundraising and learned more about your organization. But before we dive into that, just tell us a little bit, how did you even get into this world of nonprofits and fundraising in the first place? I have to admit, I think we shared a few pints, which is probably why you thought what I was saying was interesting. So <laughs> buckle up, every listener. This may or may not be interesting. If you if you don't have a pint in front of you, grab one. Uh, you know, in terms of answering that question of how did we get into this space in the first place? I mean, ultimately, um, you know, I was really intrigued by this opportunity to help nonprofit organizations really leverage technology to scale personalized engagement to reach new heights. And uh, that, that kind of opportunity presented itself professionally uh, shortly after I, I graduated from university, uh, where I went to Loyola Marymount University, you know, and, and in addition to learning a few things about business there, um, I, met, I, I learned about this principle that we are, we are to be men and women with and for others. And I thought, mm. That's a really interesting concept, and how can I dedicate my professional career to helping organizations while still keeping a foot in the business side? And that's really how I got into the space. Cool. No, it's awesome. Not not too dissimilar from my own journey. So it's funny how that kind of happens. Um, well, the thing that I found so interesting after a few points was this idea of flash fundraising. So can you kind of just define it? Like what is flash fundraising and kind of what's different about it than quote unquote regular fundraising? Yeah, flash fundraising is taking advantage of major media moments that will drive traffic or attention to your organization, your nonprofit. Um, the most obvious of that is is something like a natural disaster, right? That's obvious if you're an organization that's uh, responding to natural disasters. But there's lots of other examples. Um, maybe maybe you're an anti-poaching organization, or or you're helping to fight human trafficking, or you're rescuing. Uh, you know, people from North Korea, like one of our clients, Liberty in North Korea, you think about, you know, North Korea getting in the news and you think about an opportunity that traffic is going to be driven to your, to your nonprofit's website. Are you prepared uh, with a clear call to action for people to get involved, to, to support you philanthropically? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, we'll go into uh, some of the tactics, but that was two of the interesting things. Cause when you're flash fundraising, of course you instantly think of disasters. 
but increasingly so with the way that uh, media is and you know how news gets disseminated and how we've seen an increase of like rage giving and mm. people reacting to news. Uh, this type of preparedness or strategy, I think, is becoming more and more important for all types of different organizations, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you you brought up a couple of examples come to mind. Uh, recent examples, the ACLU is, is a fantastic one, right? Uh, there's this whole kind of phenomenon called the Trump bump uh, across the nonprofit industry. We saw a lot of giving spike in certain categories. Um, and the ACLU is a, a huge benefactor of that. Uh, you know, prior to kind of Trump being elected, they were raising between three and five million annually online. And after Trump took office, they raised over $120 million online. And that was largely driven by the increase in membership. Um, their membership drew, grew from 400,000 to 1.8 million members uh, in just 15 months following Trump's election. So that's an example. Obviously, the ACLU is, is an incredible organization doing a lot to fight for social justice um, for the rights of, of Americans. And, and I think that when you see so many of the news stories that are driving traffic to ACLU, you see why it is that an organization like that might benefit from, from this moment. Well, and, you know, when we talk about fundraising, as, as you and I have both worked with organizations, I mean, we're just trying to make it very clear to donors, like, what will your donation do? And one of the best messages that rallies people is give them something to fight for or fight against. And so on both sides, right, you see fight against this or fight for this. And it's actually created a kind of a divisive world, which isn't necessarily a good thing. But on the fundraising side, it, it's given a lot of people a real impetus or reason to give. So back to kind of flash fundraising. How do you even go about like preparing for this? What are the basics of, of kind of flash fundraising, whether it's you're in the news cycle or a disaster response? Yeah, I mean, I think that the things that you can do to prepare for a flash fundraising moment is, is can be broken into two major categories, technology and content. You've got to make sure that you have the technology in place because I think you, you had already mentioned, Brady, the news cycles move really fast. So if you're going to wait for that major moment in order to have your tech stack in order, you're probably going to miss that um, opportunity. Right. So, you know, on the tech side, we think about uh, you got to have a, a robust CRM, um, a place for all of your donor data to live. You have to have a really robust ESP, an email service provider, preferably one that allows you to create some kind of automation or journeys specific to their interest. Um, text messaging must be in order. You got to have a way for people to process donations quickly online. Um, we think that it's critical that you have uh, Google Pay, Apple Wallet, any kind of uh, digital wallet because we see conversions go way up. Um, you know, you got to have your Google ad grant in order, your Facebook um, ad set up. Uh, you have to have, you know, an interesting and engaging um, landing page. So having some kind of way to have that in order. Those are the basics on the tech side. And on the content side, um, it really starts with how do you frame your supporters or potential supporters, people who are visiting or learning about your organization and the work that you're doing to, to tackle this uh, urgent and compelling crisis? How do you put them as the hero in that story? Mm. That really starts with donor personas or supporter personas. Um, identifying how to position them as the hero in the story and, you know, having things like a new supporter welcome series um, across uh, text, uh, social, as well as email um, and direct mail. 
new donor welcome series. You know, these are some of the content things you can do in, in preparation so that when that major media moment happens, um, you're prepared. You, you're, you're in a position where you can stand up a response and a specific call to action within, you know, minutes instead of days, weeks. And, you know, as we already talked about, you'll miss the cycle if you, if you wait. Right. Um, I want to jump back to, to content in a second, but the tech stack is really interesting. And the, the quote that came to mind, my brother, who's a, who's a volleyball coach, always uses this. Ray Lewis says, pressure makes a pipe break. Yeah. And basically, like, you don't know what you have until you really put under pressure. And I feel like this type of fundraising, you know, your, your tech stack and how integrated your systems are, how quickly you can move. You don't realize how good or bad your system is until you have to, like – launch all this stuff in a day, right? Yeah. And everything just like breaks or crumbles. So it's like extra, extra important. So is, is there a way that you can almost like, you know, sh- stress test this? Mm. Or like, how do you know if your systems are good enough before you get this huge opportunity? Like, can you do run-throughs or like, how yeah. do you know? Yeah, I actually have a really funny story for this one. Um, uh, you know, prior to, prior to starting Cosmic, I ran development operations at Team Rubicon, a nonprofit that repurposes the skills and experience of military veterans to respond to natural disasters. And during the seven years I was there, we grew from 250000 to $40 million a year in revenue. Wow. Um, and I think we did a lot of things well. When it came to the responding to disasters, we were prepared. We could stand up a fundraising call to action within uh, really minutes. And that took a lot of preparation. But uh, the interesting story for this is actually in response to the ESPYs. Um, the CEO and uh, co-founder Jake Wood was honored with the Pat Tillman Award at the ESPYs. Um, and we had about two weeks to prepare for this. And we, I'm giving myself credit. Um, no credit is due. It was really the communications and marketing team prepared for this. Um, major moment, right? And, and what was interesting is we had tested a lot of things, uh, but we weren't prepared for the massive amount of, of traffic <laughs> yeah. to the website. And it actually uh, caused the website to crash. And so yeah. we missed out on some of those donation opportunities. <laughs> we did acquire a ton of leads. We did capture a lot of donations. But um, yeah. obviously, the load test would have been a really critical thing to do in preparation. So, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, similarly with, with Team Rubicon during Hurricane Harvey, Irma, and Maria, uh, there was so much attention brought about by these the social media influencers, these personalities on YouTube that it, uh, mm. people were hacking, uh, trying to basically uh, do, a, do an overload the server. So mm. you know, I think that's, that's something that you can do. You can work with Amazon Web Services um, and do some stress tests before. Uh, making sure that you've got those scalable solutions. Yeah. Um, you know, we partner and, and advocate a lot for you know, uh, platforms like Salesforce, like Classy, like Fundraise, um, uh, Twilio. These are all, you know, really scalable solutions that are backed by um, major corporations that are investing a lot in, in making sure that your system doesn't go down. And I think that that's something to really consider. A lot of organizations look at the platform cost on some of those yeah. things and say, hey, that's, that's unreasonable. But in actuality, there are major technology companies that are working to put in place the infrastructure to make right. sure that in that moment you capture uh, those donations. So I think you know, aligning your technology with those partners that are scalable, super, super important. Yeah. But um, you mentioned Twilio there and earlier you're talking about text. Um, you know, I think... Um, a lot of people misuse 
text fundraising, in my opinion, that just doesn't make sense. Whereas news cycle and immediate response seems to make a lot of sense. And like we've ran experiments with like Apple Pay and seen no real huge difference. But that's not in the context of a very high urgent immediate kind of giving need. So, you know, mobile is obviously centered. But is this another example of uh, mobile and the tech rises in prominence when it's so quick and so urgent, even more than just every day? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, I'm a huge believer. Uh, I mean, in, in text messaging, and you know, 95% of text messages are going to be open. Compare that to your emails. 90% will be read within three minutes. However, I think uh, I'm making a huge assumption here. Brady, be interested to hear your feedback, but I think one of the reasons why people are discouraged by text messaging is that it's all it's all urgent appeal. It's all text based. It's not interesting. It's not engaging. It's not, um, they're oftentimes not sending MMS. Um, and so I want to, I want to speak to an example here. We work with the Oregon Humane Society, um, and they actually respond to natural disasters. They go and actually rescue, hmm. um, animals right in Texas and California with the wildfires, even though they're up here in Oregon, hmm. uh, where, where cosmic is headquartered. And, um, we created a really interesting text message strategy for their uh, Doggy Dash, their kind of fundraiser peer-to-peer event. We created three different personalities. And I think this is what you have to do with text messaging. It has to be interesting because it's very intimate. It's going to be looked at. And it is a moment when you have to like have content that aligns with, with your end user, that donor persona. So we created these really interesting uh, personalities. We had uh, one dog that was just like, super it was a high energy coach right and it was his mm-hmm. name was busy we had a feline cat who was all about programmatic impact um and then we had gruff the hipster which was like a cute little schnauzer you know um and he was all about incentives and swag and so every time we sent a message it was one of the personalities being text messaged and the video and and the and the imagery all aligned with the persona um, and people were really interested and really engaged. And we saw 121% increase in donations. Um, and we also saw, uh, oh, I wish I had the number, but hundreds of percentage of increase in uh, event registration. And wow. so that's what you have to do with text messaging. Yeah. You have to do something like that. Yeah, I think the two mistakes that that I've seen people make, one, it's viewed purely as transaction, like we text you, you give us money. Totally. <laughs> like that that even whether it's email or text or whatever, like that rarely works. I mean, you have to, you know, ask and prod for a transaction, but if that's the only thing, you know, yep. that you're doing with it. And I think a lot of people got burned with a text to give, which is different than a text-based strategy, you know, like a short code and it comes off your bill. That's the early days of text. Yep. And a lot of people got burned by super expensive barriers to entry, all that kind of stuff, and then have kind of written it off. And those those are two of the biggest kind of misconceptions or mistakes that, that I've seen with text. Whereas if it's a uh, more integrated approach or the tests that we want to run is... Uh, split the group into two. This group gets text messages, not even asking, because yep. we've seen the same thing with postcards and emails and Facebook ads, just basically priming content yep. through a high read channel. I could almost guarantee you they will give more and be worth more to your campaign than people who don't receive text messages, right? So totally. I think there's some of that that application that, that we still need to figure out. Yeah, and I think you, you hit on something from a tactical perspective. If I was listening to this, I'd be like, that's cool. That's what to do. How do I do it? Um, you know, I think, I think setting up, uh, landing pages with retargeting ads are some of the best ROI. I mean, you know, this better than I, so you're doing so much research on it, but, um, that's something we see really successful. You know, you send a highly engaged content, 
pushes them to a landing page and you retarget and that's where you yeah. push to have that ask. So right. people aren't, um, you know, I mean, this is, this is marketing kind of from an omni-channel strategy and I think it's, it's the way that you do it. Well, and this, this ties into maybe more of the, in the flash fundraising, like what happens after, right? So I think retargeting is probably a strategy. So you get this huge influx of traffic. Not everyone's going to give you an email. Not everyone's going to make a donation. Like some people are going to give purely out of disaster. I think that's probably the biggest question that people have. Like, well, what happens after? Like, Mm -hmm. are you just reliant on like praying for more disasters? Like, what do you do, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did go to Loyola Marymount University, but I don't rely on prayer for fundraising because that's, uh, <laughs> that doesn't not work. not a strategy. Yeah, it's not a strategy. Um, but I, I will say that, you know, everybody knows this, disaster uh, donors, um, donors who are giving to any crisis or flash fundraising, they often, they're harder to retain. Mm-hmm. But that's because we're not placing them as the hero in the story. We're not going out there and getting rich, meaningful content that proves impact. So at Cosmic, we have this thing called the Cosmic Impact Model, and it's perfect for disasters. It's very interesting, super easy to understand. Imagine we have uh, a hurricane hits, and you get that ask. You get all this influx in donations. The, The concept is early on, you send a high degree of frequency Uh, but lower effort or lower impact stuff. So things like quote cards, things like photos, um, just easy stuff to send out via text, via email, via, um, you know, social. As time goes on, you you know, the donors require a greater degree of reporting back on impact. So then you start to build up over time and now you've got blogs, you've got, you know, Hmm. uh, interviews with people in the field, you've got videos, and then you move on from there and you're actually talking about, okay, we responded to, now we're helping this community recover from this disaster. How many, you know, what's the data behind that? And you really start to tell that narrative. So now you've got people, human, emotional stories representing uh, all these data points. And, you, you know, it builds into, say, like mm. a quarterly impact report. And then a year later, you actually start to send a... a, a uh, an omni-channel engagement that says, hey, this is the impact we had. Now is the time to convert to a monthly gift to help make sure that we have the resources that we need to respond to disaster, to respond to whatever, uh, the you know, the, the latest from the Trump administration in terms of policy. We want to make sure we have the staffing to take that on. Um, so we see that, you know, your retention rate goes way up when you actually build out engaging and meaningful content that places that donor as the hero um, and focuses on impact and gratitude. And, and then, of course, you got to ask again because that's, that's the nature of the business. Yeah, right. <clears throat> I think one of the – to that, I like that, um, how, how the impact reporting kind of scales. Like no one's going to expect this full exhaustive report, you know, a week after something happened. Like, I mean, they shouldn't. One of the right. best things I've seen uh, is like Charity Water, once I ran a fundraiser for them, they just spelled out the next 24 months and said like, yep. you will not get an update until 18 months on, on your well. Like that's just what it is. you know. Yes. So then I was like, oh, well, then I'm not expecting this kind of thing. So I think that's kind of interesting too, just thinking about how we communicate to donors. Like if we can just set some expectation and yep. then we have to fulfill it, but just then they're not like, where's my impact? What am It's like, it's yes. coming. We told you, don't worry about it, you know? Yes. Radical transparency is critical. And actually, you know, I mean, uh, Pencils of Promise does this fantastically. They were going to actually invest in uh, tens of thousands of these e-readers and they did a pilot program. 
with one of the schools that they're building abroad and and they had these uh these all these kindles you know delivered and they actually found out that wow like uh if we don't train the teachers the literacy rate does not climb and they reported back like hey we're actually not ready for all these e-readers that we thought we needed what we actually need is we need to combine we need to scale down the number of schools we actually need to have e-readers plus curriculum teaching people how and see, that transparency is so interesting because it gives you something to talk about. Um, it gives you something to report back upon. And, and that's an example right there of, of transparency through narrative and storytelling that ultimately builds trust um, with your organization. Yeah, and I think it's one of the clear markers of, I mean, some of the organizations that you mentioned. We include in our research studies and we call them hipster charities. You know, it's kind of this like next wave of charity and transparency is a common trait amongst them because it's a common trait of younger donors and what they're looking for. Yeah. Um, I want to jump back to content for a second because I think one of the interesting things in your kind of uh, 101 and, and the walkthroughs is like how do you prepare content? But you don't know what the disaster is, where it's going to strike. You don't know what the news – like you can't control the news cycle. So can you just share a little bit about like how do you prepare content? Is it like thanks for your support for Hurricane Blank or like you know mm-hmm. how prepared can you actually be to like fill in the blanks and, and be ready to move? Yeah, I mean I think disasters are easy because you've got hurricanes, you've got typhoons you've got tornadoes, you've got earthquakes, you know, so, uh, you know, inside baseball trick is like, yeah, you, you have, you know, you have high quality photography from each of those disaster examples. You've got some basic language around your initial response, um, that allows you to get up and stand in. You're kind of broad and generic and you get more specific as, as content becomes available. I think that what's more tricky is actually the organizations that are doing, using, leveraging flash fundraising that are actually not, you know, uh, as um, pr- predictable. Yeah. So on those ones, I think ultimately you have to go back to your, you know, your core values or what are the, like your principles that your pillars programmatically. Um, so if you're an organization, you know, uh, that's that's a policy organization. There's certain policies that you might be responding to um, that you might be out there uh, working on the hill and, and whipping votes or whatever. So that those ones you want to have pre kind of pre thought out. But the reality is, if you if you have your technology in order, you can then focus your content um, in that moment at spinning up content. And if you have your donor personas already defined and you understand what are your constituents' preferred channels and preferred frequency then you're not asking these basic questions and you can focus your energy and effort um, in that moment on capturing, you know, building out content that is uniquely meaningful for that specific time. Um, I think that's really important. Cool. Um, you, you gave a f- couple pro tips along the way. What are some kind of common mistakes that you see organizations do or even more mistakes that, you know, you've made in the past for oh, people man. to avoid? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I think first and foremost, um, you know, it's it's not knowing who your target audience is. It's it's basically going out with that ask. It's not having, you know, gratitude. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that nonprofits make. Um, you know, you can leverage tools like handwritten, which we have a really deep partnership with, um, to 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 send out robotic handwritten thank you cards that are highly personalized, highly customizable. Um you know, that, that initial expression of gratitude, when you capture a donor, it's really important that you, that you have that, um, that in place. You want to express thank, gratitude and start demonstrating impact and then do an upgrade. Most nonprofits treat donors pretty much the same. 
they send what feels like a transactional email um, confirmation and it's not personalized and people read right through that. So you spent all this energy and all this time and all this money probably with, you know, retargeting and all the rest. And you, you just let all those new qualified leads for your development team walk away because you didn't express gratitude. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's actually one of the things, you know, so much of our research in in the first part has really been on the acquisition because that's what people often hire you for and pay for. But the biggest problem that every organization has is like, well, great. What happens now? Yeah, retention. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So we're doing a study on the first 45 days after an email sign up and after donation to see what are organizations actually doing in that really critical, you know, early period to see how they're welcoming new donors onto the file. And uh, I think there'll be some pretty sad results. Uh, we're just kind of like waiting through the data. But I think, again, that, that's got to be even more important in this context where you maybe have donors who don't know that much about the organization. It's just they're responding because fire, flood, you know, they don't know that much about the organization. So you've got a really short window to kind of mm-hmm. – express that gratitude and try to build some connection that can last. Cause if, if that doesn't happen right away, like what are the odds nine months from now that they're going to be like, Oh, I remember <laughs> this organization that I love now. Like that's going to be rare. Right. Oh, totally. I mean, I think what, you know, talk about like, this is not a, a, a study that's large enough to, to really have significance. But, um, you know, I remember a team Rubicon in, in response to Hurricane Sandy when I personally called uh, like 2,300 donors and then hand wrote them all thank you cards. It was the first time we had, a, you know, thousands of people support the organization. And people who give $5 to a disaster, um, people were seven times more likely to give in the same three, week, the three weeks to follow when they were personally thanked. And it was actually the the smaller donors that that were um, signing up for monthly gifts that had, that gave a, again. And I, you know, I think it's, it's, um, it's so important. It's just so important that you, you, and you're going to stand out because most organizations don't prioritize that. Um, so it's like an easy way to have a very big impact on your bottom line. Um, and you're not just competing against nonprofits, right? You're competing against all the for-profit brands that you know and love um, and that's the experience that people expect uh, is they expect a highly personalized experience and um, it's important to deliver on that. Yeah. And I think one of the competitive advantages that we have as nonprofits is, you know, emotion, uh, more human, more personal. Mm-hmm. And so I think we need to lean into that to gain and keep our market share, you know, do handwritten codes because a lot of Amazon vendors aren't sending you a handwritten note thanking you for their purchase, right. you know, but right. if we can do that for donation, then we have a chance uh, to do more of that. Um uh, I want to ask you a little bit on your on kind of a high level view on kind of philanthropy, but uh, anything else you want to add on flash fundraising, like pro tip, uh, mistake to avoid, uh, changes you've seen in the last kind of decade that you've been doing mm-hmm. it? Um, any kind of like parting blows for flash fundraising? Yeah, and um, you know this is a bit of a shameless plug for I'm, I'm doing a Twilio Signal. I'm, I'm doing a presentation there on on you know, what are the lessons that we can learn from how Patagonia, um, you know, does their marketing and how we can do that at a nonprofit? I think it plays really nicely into this, into this question of, you know, what's changed. Ultimately, as a nonprofit organization, the, the experience that you're competing against is one-click checkout at Amazon, right? It's, it's, um, 
it's it's no, narrative and storytelling. And Bobby, our head of content strategy here at Cosmic, and I are always talking about how you know ultimately, like this is marketing. We're just selling a story, and we're selling you as the hero solving this problem. Patagonia is amazing at this, right? Like you get this really cool printed um, mailing, and instead of it being basically junk mail, I look forward to opening it up and reading about the woman in Guatemala who's making my wet you know wetsuit or um, the person you know in these different countries that are designing and, and, and whose lives are impacted. And then I also get to read about people who are kiteboarding and who are surfing and who are fly fishing. And, and so you see that there are different heroes in the story. Um, and then you get really interesting and engaging content sent to you. Um, Alaska airlines is another great example of customer service and how they send highly personalized content. They keep track of where you're flying. They keep track of what meals you like. And they empower their people in, you know, at 30,000 feet to make decisions on the fly um, saying, Hey, look, like here's, here's a cheese plate. Like I held it for you. I knew you were coming on the plane. Like, thanks for being on a plane too much. Um, And I think that's the big lesson for nonprofits is that ultimately, um, you know, especially with the changes to the tax law, most recently uh, philanthropy, you have to have like more than just a, ultimately why people are going to support your organization has to be more than just a tax deductible gift, right? It has to be an emotional connection to the cause. You have to tie into, into the problems that they care about and place them as the hero. And I think if you look to like the really interesting brands that you love, um, you'll see that they're doing that. And you'll see as a nonprofit professional that you have to be doing the same thing because that's the standard we're up against. Um, we can't, we can't do what we've always done um, and, and expect that people are going to stay loyal to your brand because um, they just won't. Yeah. Yeah. I think a, a word that you kept using there that I think is crucial is content. Like when we look at yeah. organizations that are doing really well online, is they're able to produce quality, valuable content through the eyes of the donor, not just like content for themselves. Yeah. And that's going to just be increasingly important. So I was going to ask you, how can we kind of, you know, grow philanthropy? And you kind of answered that. So let me flip it and say, uh, what's preventing nonprofits or, or why are we doing the same things? Or why aren't we like what's preventing organizations uh, from moving forward in some of these areas that, you know, content marketing or using mobile or like mm. what are some of the barriers that you've seen working with clients or just in the space that's stopping us from from growing? Yeah. Um, Okay, so at the Classic Collaborative where we met, Brady, uh, I did a talk on on culture and the importance of, of how to build a culture for a high-growth organization. And one of the cultural principles at Cosmic is um, the future belongs to the curious. The future belongs to the curious. And I think when we think about, especially our established nonprofits, um, the nonprofit clients that are just, you know, been around for decades, 50 million, 100 million a year in annual revenue plus, um, we hear so often, like, basically what it boils down to is, well, that's the way we've always done it. <laughs> and, you know, while the rapidly emerging nonprofits don't have that luxury, right? Like they, they're fighting above their weight class. They're, they're scrappy. They're having to leverage technology. They're having to do things differently. They're having to innovate. Um, and I think that that's the biggest barrier is like the mindset because the technology exists. Lots of organizations are giving that technology away for free or heavily discounted. Um, organizations like yours, like ours exist to help support these organizations and, and deploying those technologies. Um, and so, you know, I think it's about mindset. It's about mindset of like, well, this is the way it's always been done. Um, and 
and if you continue to think that way, then you're, you're going to be passed up um, by organizations that are forced to innovate, just like with you know, uh, Blockbuster and Netflix. If, if Blockbuster had not sat around a room and said, like, well, this is the way we've always done it, then you know, they, they would probably still exist. And I think that that's similar if you look at some of the big charities, which will n- remain nameless because we're probably, probably <laughs> hoping they listen to this, but you know. <laughs> Um, well, we're going to have to have you back on because there's probably a whole conversation around culture and changing mindset, uh, but we won't get into that today. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, we talked a lot about Flash Funders, but touched on these other cool areas. Um, where can people find out more about you and your work? Yeah, the easiest is Cosmic.com, um, C-A-U-S-E-M-I-C.com. Uh, we've got a blog. We've got um, insight talks on culture. We've got a lot of resources. Um also catch us at conferences like like Classy Collaborative, Twilio, Signal, Dreamforce, uh, NTC. We've been to all of those and are and are going to be at those coming up. So, thank you so much for having us. Um, you know, on behalf of all of us at Cosmic and the clients that we serve, really excited. I know I was energized by our conversation, Brady, and uh, thank you very much for including us in this podcast. Of course, keep up the good work. Cheers, man. Hey, this is Brady, and I just want to say thank you for listening to the Generosity Freak Show. If you want to get all future episodes, please be sure to subscribe at generosityfreakshow.com, or you can just search the Generosity Freak Show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. So if you have comments, questions, feedback, you can email us at podcast at next after. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, the Generosity Freak Show is produced by Next After, where I work. It- Next After is an online fundraising research lab that works with nonprofits to help them grow their online fundraising. And our mission is to unleash the most generous generation in the history of the world. You can learn more about us and what we're up to and see our latest research at nextafter.com. Lastly, this show would not be possible without my co-host, Tim Kachuriak, and our amazing mixologist and producer, Nathan Hill. So many, many thanks to them. So thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week. 